Once again, I would like to uh, welcome each and every one of you to Hope Covenant Church. Uh, I wanted to just say a word to Ryan and the worship team. I just really appreciated so much the spirit of our worship today, and uh, God is present with us. And uh, we're very, very glad that we have the privilege of joining together in worship. I also want to, as we, before we begin, I wanted to say a word to those of you who are uh, new to our church. Uh, we have visitors every Sunday, and I just want you to know that um, even though some of what we do might seem different, maybe you're not a church person, maybe you're not even a Christ follower, maybe you don't, you're here just because somebody asked you, but I just want you to know that uh, we uh, have prayed for you. Uh, we, we, we didn't even know you by name, but we prayed for you. We prayed that as you would come and visit our church, that uh, you would uh, feel the presence of God. And that you would recognize that um, there is a, a God, a creator, a redeemer that loves you more than you'll ever know. And part of what we try to do and what we're going to do in a minute is called a sermon. And sometimes a sermon sounds like it's going to sermonize and there'll be some of that. But I want you to know that throughout the week when I prepare this message that um, I pray for you, for those who are not yet Christ followers, that there would be something here that would minister to you, speak to your heart, and I draw you into a relationship with Jesus. So that's my prayer for today. And I pray that each of you would um, experience God's uh, blessing in a very profound way. So we are um, at just at the beginning of a brand new series that we have entitled, um, What's Your One Step? And you saw in the little video introduction, uh, this is something that came out of the Covenant Church. In fact, I was on the planning team for this about four or five years ago with 20 other Covenant pastors and, and uh, uh, theological seminary professors. And we came up with this. How can we make evangelism kind of relevant and meaningful and accessible to people who are terrified about uh, things like knocking on the doors and bullhorn guy and all of that? So we, we, we wanted to make something that was accessible. And out of that uh, two-day meeting in Chicago five years ago, we came up with this idea of what's your one step. And here's the definition that we came up with that day about evangelism. Here's the definition. Evangelism is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and others to bring one person one step closer to Christ. So it's not something that we do on our own. It's always in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. And almost always it's in cooperation with other people. As I said last week, that people don't really make a decision for Christ until seven different people have kind of planted seeds in their lives, even as children. So, so you have an opportunity, maybe not to be an evangelist, but you have an opportunity to bear witness to the love that Jesus has showed you, and you can share that with other people. But it still sounds kind of scary, okay? So uh, that's what we looked at last week, and I want to just begin by uh, once again reminding you of that scenario that we see in the, in the Gospels. So at the end of each of the Gospels and in the first chapter of Acts, we find Jesus Christ uh, a month and a half, 40 days after the resurrection. So he's been around a while now. Over 500 people have seen him. They verified his existence. And then Jesus finds himself with the disciples. And one of the gospel writers indicates there's probably 120 of the disciples there um, uh, standing with Jesus on the Mount of Olives. And he's saying to the people gathered there, you guys need to know something. Um, I'm going to be leaving you. And, of course, they didn't want to hear that. I mean, 
Come on, they had spent three years of their lives following this guy. Then they were completely destroyed when he died on the cross. They were completely renovated and rejuvenated when he was resurrected. They're fired up. They're ready to paint blue paint on their faces. They're ready to charge. They're ready to do whatever it takes. And Jesus says, I'm leaving you. Now he said, don't worry about it. I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit with you. And the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ in you. So you're going to have Jesus in your life. And all of the things that you've seen me do these last three years, especially that thing that you saw God do 40 days ago, which is resurrecting somebody from the dead. You don't usually see that every day. Uh, this, this power of being able to res- raise me from the dead, this power, he's, this is going to be yours. You're going to have the power to do this kind of work. You're going to have the power to spread this good news. And he said, now, I want you to know that everything you do in your life really matters. And I want you guys to be blessed. And I want you to go and have happy families. And I want you to make sure that you eat good meals and have good nutrition, that you exercise, you teach your kids how to soccer, play soccer. But one thing you need to remember more than anything else, I'm leaving you behind for one specific person, purpose. And that's to make disciples. Go into all the world. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and, and telling every person that you possibly can about this amazing grace, this amazing love that I have for my people. And that that love is able to forgive you of your sins. That, able, that love is able to save you, uh, save your life and give you eternity for, for as long, I mean, for eternity, right? So that's what I want you to do. So, so guys, gals that are gathered here, and there's all kinds of men and women there. I, I, here's what, live your life well, but don't forget get this. There's one reason I'm leaving you behind. And your plan A, there's no plan B, your plan A, and that is to go with this pearl of great price, this gospel message, this love of Jesus, and take that and spread it around the world. That's exactly what they did. In the next hundred years, we have, as most historians can kind of put pieces together, in the next hundred years, there were over 300,000 believers in a hundred years. All because of this one simple message. It's up to you to take this good news and to share this good news with everyone else. So that's the backdrop to this whole series on what's your one step. Because you say, okay, I'm not Paul. You know, I'm not Luke. I'm not these guys that were so wonderful about going and sharing their lives and all that. I'm not very, in fact, I'm kind of scared and I'm kind of wimpy when it comes to sharing my faith. And, I'm, and I don't know what to do and I don't know much theology and I don't know much about the Bible. You have all these excuses. But here's, here's the deal. What's your, what's your one step? Remember, you're cooperating with the Holy Spirit and you're cooperating with others. So it's not up to you. But what's your one step? What's one thing you can do to bring one person one step closer to Jesus? And the thing we're going to talk about today is prayer. Now, in your bulletins, you have these uh, bookmarks. I'd like you to take those bookmarks out right now. And on this bookmark, last week you had a little bit bigger uh, insert. But on this, I would ju- I'd like you to start praying today for that first category, that first box. People to pray for. And I want you, maybe even as you go through the message today, you'll be hearing somebody's voice, you know, in your head. It won't be a dog or anything. It'll be, I mean, a voice of a person, a friend, somebody you know. And that's the person that God wants you to pray for. And so you write those people down. People that are far from God, people that have given up on church, people that don't know Jesus, but, but, but you love them because they're in your life and you know them. You may be family, friends. You love them. And, and, and who is it that you can pray for? Now, that's the first step, and that's the easiest step. Everybody can do that. So at the end of first service last week, um, one of you, because you're here again today, came up to me and said, uh, Dwayne, I was, um, uh, I was uh, moved and I was uh, feeling... Conviction about the message today. 
And uh, she said, I, I want to, I, I pray during our prayer time, I, I want to be available to the Holy Spirit to share my faith. But I'm, I'm terrified. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what to say. And she said, today, but the Lord impressed on me that there's, there's, there, I can do something. And she said, I'm not quite sure what it is yet, but I'm going to listen to these messages and decide whether. But she said, is it all right? And she asked permission. She said, is it all right if I, instead of taking one step, if I take a baby step? I said, well, sure, that's okay. If it, if it, sometimes we take these big steps and then we don't follow through, like, you know, January diets and things like that. We take these giant steps and I'm going to exercise 12 times a week for the rest of my life. And we take these and then we fail at them. But, yeah, baby steps. Remember, uh, 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 you know, what about Bob, uh, Bill Murray, baby steps, baby steps. That's what we need to do. What's your one step? What's your baby step? What can you do? And maybe for many of you, that one step, that first step is simply to identify who you're going to pray for. Who are you going to pray for? Who are you going to say, Lord, help me know how to love this person better. Help me know how to care for this person better. Help me know how to share my faith with this person in a more powerful, more meaningful way. So maybe your one step is a baby step and maybe that one step is prayer. And prayer is what we're going to look at today. Now, last week, um, most of you, if you're new, you haven't heard about it, but Cindy Barton is uh, dying of cancer. And the doctors have given her some months, but... She, her life is ebbing away. It's it's leaving her. And uh, so as you see her, she's she's still Cindy and she's still wonderful. And um, Sherry and I were over to see her on Tuesday. And one of the things that was so amazing was uh, she had told me before that in these last days, she wants to really be open and honest about her faith in Jesus. And so she talked about this uh, a hospice worker. A hospice worker ca- called her and said, I'm your caseworker. And how are you doing? Well, it's this. And how are you doing emotionally? I'm good. I've got support from my church and from my husband, my family. Well, how are you doing spiritually? The caseworker said. And Cindy said, well, uh, I'm, I'm doing great. I know that if I were to die tomorrow, that I would wake up. And she, the exact word she said was, I'd be walking on the streets of gold with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Cindy said on the phone, there was this silence. And then the hospice worker said, I'm supposed to be helping you, you know, <laughs> and, you're, and you're ministering to me. And because I'll tell you why this happened, because Cindy prayed, God, how can I be available to share my faith with somebody? She, she prayed that in advance. And that's what God is calling us. You know, prayer is so misunderstood and misused. It's, it's like a little boy who prayed the, the nighttime prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If he hollers, let me go. Any, meeny, miny, mo. So our, our kids get so confused about prayer because we don't teach them about prayer. I mean, prayer is a fascinating concept. One of my, I, you know me, I, I love history. And one of my favorite characters historically is General Stonewall Jackson, uh, one of Robert E. Lee's right-hand men. And this is what he testified as he was dying. I live in the spirit of prayer. I pray as I walk. When I lie down and when I arise, when I am persuaded a desired thing is right, I continue to pray for it until the answer comes. I never seal a letter without putting a word of prayer under the seal. Isn't that beautiful? Now, today we don't put stamps on letters so much like we used to, but can you imagine praying for every email you sent out? Every word of encouragement. There's some people in our church uh, that, that are old school. And that Diana Nia is old school. She'll, like, she'll send us an actual thing in the mail. 
Have you got, you know what mail is? Okay, yeah, it comes in a mailbox and it's got a little stamp on it and your name and handwritten. It's really amazing. And you, you, you see that and you kind of, wow. But can you imagine if every email, every encouraging word you sent out was, was, was bathed and surrounded by prayer? Paul, the apostle, said, pray without ceasing. Now, he didn't mean that you're supposed to spend every day in a monastery on your knees. Pray without ceasing. He was talking about this idea that you are constantly aware of the presence and the love and the beauty and the passion of Jesus. Every moment of every day. It doesn't mean you're always praying because you've got to work and stuff like that. But every moment you're aware of his presence. One of the ancient fathers said, uh, he used, coined the phrase, practicing the presence of God, Brother Lawrence. See, if prayer to be our lifestyle like it was for General Stonewall Jackson, if prayer is to be done unceasingly, then we must understand prayer from God's perspective. So our Lord teaches us how to pray. So now for those of you who are new to church and new to uh, Christ and Christianity, this may seem a little odd to you. Or maybe some of you grew up in a Catholic church or another kind of church. And so this is familiar to you. But I'm going to ask you to do something with me. I'm going to ask you to pray the Lord's Prayer with me. Now, we don't do that every week. We do it once in a while. But I, I want you to be able to just pray this prayer. Now, some of you may have forgotten it or you've never heard it. So we're going to put up on the screen. We're going to use the, the words debts and debtors instead of trespasses. And when we pray this prayer, I want you to pray it from your heart. OK, so in order to do it, let's stand out of respect to Jesus. And I, I just want us to pray this prayer together. Uh, let us pray out loud. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, if there are those of you out there named Deb, uh, we, okay, we didn't, we weren't talking about you. Uh, you know, we'll get that fixed for second service. But there's, there's something amazing about this prayer. Now, it's very instructive, and someday, we, we're not going to do it today, but someday we're going to, we can go through that prayer just kind of sentence by sentence. But you get the sense of it. First of all, the prayer is about God. Jesus is praying to his Father. It's about God. And, and it's about this, this connection that Jesus has with his Father. He, he says, Father, I want your will. And one of the things we know is God's will. In fact, the, the, the phrase uh, God's will or how do we know God's will is only really seen a few times in the New Testament. And one of them is this. When God said, I'm not willing, right, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So in other words, God says, I want everyone to know me. I want everyone to experience my love and my grace. And I'm not willing that I'm not, I don't want to let anybody go. So there's that. And then there's this thing about forgiveness. And there's this thing about this connecting with God. So it's a beautiful prayer. It's a gorgeous prayer. And it, it teaches us what it means to pray. Now, let me tell you what that prayer does not tell us. Jesus does not tell us what the posture of prayer should be. It's kind of irrelevant to him. Because in the Bible, there are people pray standing, lifting their hands, sitting, lying down, kneeling, lifting their eyes, bowing, riding on a donkey, placing their heads between their knees, pounding their chests, facing the temple, sinking in the ocean, and from the inside of a digestive system of a great fish. All of those are proper places for prayer. There's no certain posture. Do I need to kneel? Do I need to stand? No, anything. Jesus also does not teach us the place of prayer. 
In fact, he found there are many places of prayer during battle, in a cave, in a closet, in a garden, on a mountainside, by a river, by the sea, in the street, in God's house, in Hades, in, in bed, at home, in the marketplace, on a rooftop, in a prison, on a chariot, in solitude, in the wilderness, and on a cross. My will is that men and women pray everywhere. Jesus also did not limit when we should pray. Again, in the Bible, in the early morning, in the mid-morning, three times a day, in the evening, before meals, after meals, at the ninth hour, at bedtime, at midnight, day and night, today, tomorrow, often, when you're young, when you're old, when you're in trouble, every day, hourly, and always. Do you get the message? Prayer is available, it's accessible, it's right in front of you, it's at your fingertips. God says, I love you, and I want to know you, and I want to hear from your heart, and I want to be connected to you. In any posture, at any time, in any place, under any circumstances, in any attire, prayer is appropriate, desirable, available, and listen to this, life transforming. Prayer is a lifestyle. It's not just a shopping list of I wants. It's not, God isn't some cosmic Santa Claus that's going to meet your every desire. He wants to meet your every need. It's like the woman who was convicted. She was Always praying for herself, right? Some of us have done that. We've been there. And so she was convicted and she said, I'm going to change that. And so here was her next prayer. She said, Lord, please grant my mother a tall, dark and handsome son-in-law. Okay, now that's, that's a good prayer, but you're kind of still missing the point of that. You're kind of still thinking about yourself when it comes to prayer. But prayer is, if you hear nothing else today, hear this. Prayer is being in a relationship with God. There's no certain ways that you say words. There's no, you don't have to speak King James. Who can do that anymore? And there's, prayer is being in relationship with God. It is aligning our will, our hearts, our desires with His. So let me offer you this morning just a, a couple of things that I think will be really help, helpful. And I think these are very compelling reasons to pray. And I'll tell you what they are in advance, and you can write those in your notes. Number one, God knows you. He knows you, and He knows who you are. And He knows what you need. Number two, God desires an intimate relationship with you. That's his heart. And number three, God desires a relationship with all people, with the lost, with the Muslims, with people in foreign countries, people everywhere in the world. God desires an intimate relationship with all people. He said, I am not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the first thing is this. God knows you. God knows you. The Bible says that he knows how many hairs are on your head? Now, for me and Dave Vogt, that doesn't take long for God to count that up. But for some of you, I mean, just think how well he knows you, you know. He knows how many hairs are on your head. G.K. Chesterton said this, God is a God of surprises, a God of the enormous exception. Isn't that great? I mean, just think, when we think we've got everything figured out and we know what we want for our lives, we know what we need for our lives, and we say, God, if only I have, uh, if only I get a BMW then, and then I'll be happy, you know. If only I get this, then I'll, if only I get a husband, then I'll be happy. If only I get a new job, then I'll be happy. You know, always, but God knows what we need. The Israelites prayed after they crossed the Red Sea and they were feeling kind of homesick for Egypt. How does that work out? 400 years of bondage, right? And they're kind of feeling bad about things. And they start complaining. Say, you know, we could, use some, we could use some of the food we used to eat. We could use some, like, leeks and onions. Because that, we didn't think they were very good at the time. But now, we're thinking back, they were really good. And, and so God, instead of answering that prayer, and they probably thought, why didn't you answer our prayer? God gave them manna. 
It's like spiritual wonder bread. I mean, it's pretty awesome, you know. And, and, and then they complained a little bit about that because that wasn't good enough. And he provided them with quail. And all, so God knows exactly what we need. We may not know what we need, but God does. Or last week, the man uh, we talked about that was paralyzed and was lowered through the roof. And, and he was plopped in front of Jesus. And, and the man wanted his body to be healed. Why not? He's been paralyzed since birth. Of course he wanted his body to be healed. But God knew that he needed something even more. And so God said, your sins are forgiven. Now, he also healed his body. But the fact is, God knew that, hey, let's do first things first. You can you can live all your life with a paralyzed body, but you can't live a moment without God. You can't live a moment without my love. So so he knew exactly what he needed. Or Paul in Second Corinthians 12. When we do the Second Corinthians series, we're going to spend a whole message on this text. But you know the text about Paul complained about a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what that thorn in the flesh was here. But here's some of the theologians ideas of what it was. Some think it was epilepsy. Debilitating headaches, malaria, gout, uh, um, um, uh, cla- uh, indigestion, syphilis, nagging wife. I mean, people have thought that all kinds of things. We don't know what his thorn in the flesh was, but we do know what God's solution was. God's solution was not to fix his body. God's solution, say it with me, what? My grace is sufficient for you. But Jesus said, I'd be so much better if I didn't have this thorn. I understand that my grace is sufficient three times. My grace is sufficient for you. Yesterday, I was um, I visited uh, a young man in uh, the jail in in Buckeye, Buckeye jail. And um, and so he and his girlfriend, his girlfriend was with me as we visited him. And uh, it's all done on video anymore. I was surprised at that. It's been a while since I've been to jail, but you don't even see the person with the person. But. So we're in this video talking and, and I'm asking him how things are going and everything. And, and then he said something that I'll never forget. He said, you know, if I hadn't have been arrested and put in jail, even though I feel like I'm innocent, but this is what brought me back to God. And he said, I, I wish I wasn't so stubborn that there, there wasn't a better way or an easier way, but God found a way and whatever it takes God says, your relationship with me is more important than your freedom. Your relationship with me is more important than the food you eat, the job you have, the family you have. Your relationship with me matters. And God says, I know you. And I know exactly what you need. There are times in our lives when you feel pain. And we all have, but sometimes that pain can be debilitating, overwhelming. Uh, there, there's we, Sherry and I, we have a, a doctor. Her name's Joy Wolf. And Joy, uh, Sherry used to be the nanny for Joy when her kids were small. And she's still our, our, our GP. And, um, and so there once in a while, Sherry or I will call Joy because she's a friend and say, hey, we don't want to bother coming in the office. You know, can you give us this, some antibiotics or whatever? And Joy is so good. She said, oh, yeah, it sounds like you might be right about that. But uh, you better come in and see me. Yeah, but Joy, you don't understand. I'm busy. I'm a pastor. I've got stuff to do. So I understand that. I really respect that. You better come in and see me. (laughs) You know what? Every time you have a pain in your soul, your body, your heart, God fix me. Take care of it. Make it go away. And God's always response is always the same. Why don't you come see me? Just come and see me. We'll, we'll talk about it. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll get the right diagnosis. But you need to come and see me. 
Because that's what matters more than anything else. So here's what you need. My grace. Me. It's about connecting. It's about a relationship. My grace is sufficient for you. The Greek word for sufficient uh, is the word arche. And it means the supply is in exact proportion to the need. When God says, my grace is sufficient for you, he said, I will give you grace in the exact portion that you need. Never too little, never too much, never too late, never too early. Christ knows our deepest needs. God knows you. But there's something else we find about prayer that, and it's this, God desires intimacy with you. So you know the story of Jonah. If you don't, I'll just give you a brief synopsis. In the Old Testament, Jonah was a prophet who was told by God to go and tell the good news of God's love to a nation. He didn't want to because he wanted that nation to be destroyed. Feel free to connect dots in your own thinking with people in the world. And he wanted that people to be destroyed. And God said, no, I want to give them a chance to be saved. And so I want you to go there and, and talk to them. Jonah said no. He got on a boat. Some of you know the story. Finally, he was thrown overboard because he was the problem, why there was this great storm. And so Jonah finds himself in the belly of a great fish. You've heard that story, all of you. Belly of a great fish. And he's sitting there contemplating. And this is what it says in Jonah 2. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. (laughs) Now, to me, that sounds maybe that sounds poignant to you. To me, that sounds hilarious. (laughs) Jonah is sitting in bile with seaweed all over his head. And he's recounting to God all the things that happened. I swallowed by this fish and I'm terrified. And, everything. and then all of a sudden he said, oh, the Lord, I knew I forgot something. I knew I should have thought of something. And he, I knew I forgot the Lord. See, because what matters to God is, is not how many fish swallow us or how big they are. Those. What matters is that God says, I will do anything to be in an intimate relationship with you. John says it this way. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. That vital life giving relationship between the vine and the branch. Christ desires that life exchange, that intimacy with you. So I most of you have heard about our son, Tyler. Um, He was a beautiful little guy. And uh, so when he was just, I think, three or four years old. He would be the one in our household. You know, there's always one of these kids that gets up early, especially if you have a day like a Saturday to sleep in. And that's when they get up. And so one Saturday morning, Sherry and I are sleeping in bed. The house is quiet. It's very early. And but I sense there's this presence in the room. And I kind of open up one eye and there's Tyler standing right by my bed, just staring at me. He's like three or four years old, just standing there. And I kind of open up and I said, Honey, do you need to go potty? You need a drink of water? You hungry? And I gave him some other options. Finally, I said, you want to get in bed with with daddy and mommy, don't you? So he crawls up in bed and, you know, but I love that story because that's what God wants from us. So often we're saying, give me some water, give me some food, give me some toys. Uh, give me something. Give me this. Give me that. And, and what God desires is that we just kind of crawl up in his arms and our embrace. Say, Lord, just just have some time together. Let's just be together. He desires this intimate, close relationship with you. And if you don't have this relationship, you can have it. It's a prayer away. 
But there's one last thing that we find, and this brings us back to our, our definition of evangelism. God desires a relationship with the lost. God desires a relationship with every human being on this planet. God desires a relationship with every person of every color skin, from every nation, from every language, because God created them and he redeemed them. He wants a relationship with every one of them. And his plan to enable that to happen, his plan to make the world know about the love of Jesus is you and me. We're plan A. We're that 120 disciples standing around the Mount of Olives. Now, most of us are waiting for him to return to the Mount of Olives. That's the second coming of Christ. But in the meantime, we've got one job to do, and that's to make disciples. God's heart aches for a relationship with all humans, especially those who are far from him. He created them. He redeemed them. His love is never ending. You know the story in Luke 15 of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. In Luke 15, everything matters to God and The thing that matters the most is that relationship with even that one lost sheep, the prodigal son, when the father embraced him. The Bible says that the father couldn't stop kissing his son. That's how he feels about those who are lost. Now, there's a wonderful passage in the Bible. I want to read it for you from uh, Colossians chapter four. Listen to these words. Now, Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. But um, this is one of those circular letters where Paul had a sense from the Holy Spirit. Okay, this isn't just a letter to Colossae. This is this is some truth that God wants for all people for all time. This is this is one of those letters that was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And this is one of those things where Paul, even as he was writing to the Colossian church, he knew that someday you and I would be listening to this. too. listen to these words. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning God. Have you ever prayed that? There's a prayer for you to pray. Pray that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm here in chains, Paul said. Don't let that bother you. Well, it does bother me because I don't want to be in chains, people said, right? Pray that I proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers. And make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. That's how we're supposed to pray for those who don't know Jesus. And we're supposed to pray that we'll have an alert mind, be aware of opportunities, a thankful heart. Lord, when I realize what the grace that you have given me, when I realize that you have lavished your grace on me, how can I not want that for every person that I know and love? He prayed for open doors. God says, not only open doors, but open my heart, open minds to receive the gospel. And he said, let your conversation be gracious and attractive. That's why bullhorn guy doesn't work. That's why knocking on the door doesn't work. But when you have a gracious and attractive word to say about the Lord Jesus Christ, things change. I mean, we talked about this in a whole series about what is a Christian. Remember that? I mean, the whole world was changed in 300 years Uh, Because of one delivery system, and that was love. The Christians had no leverage, they had no money, they had no theology, they had nothing. All they had was love, and it changed the world. Do you know what an awesome privilege it is for us to pray for others to come to faith in Jesus? Here's the bottom line. When you pray for people who do not know yet, yet know Jesus... It's like you're praying the same prayer that Jesus prayed. I mean, you see Jesus standing over Jerusalem towards the end of his life and he simply weeps because so much, so many people in Jerusalem still have rejected him and do not know him.
When Jesus looks at our world today and how mixed up it is, how bad things are going, all of that. And every, by the way, every generation says that same thing. And we say, well, yeah, but ours is worse. Well, OK, maybe it is. But the fact is, when, when we see how bad things are and everything, we think that Jesus is standing up there and he's just ticked off. Why don't you guys get your lives together? But that's not what you see. What you see is Jesus weeping. <laughs> these, these Muslim people have no idea how much I love them. These, these Hindi people, they don't know what's going on. They don't know about Who's going to tell them? Who's going to show them? Who's going to let them know about my love and my grace, the saving power of Jesus Christ, my son? How, how, who's going to tell them? That's why we pray for people that we want to come to know Jesus. So I want every one of you to think in these next moments about who you can pray for. Who it is in your life, maybe it's a friend, a relative, a parent, a grandparent, a child, a nephew, a co-worker, a schoolmate, somebody that you know, somebody that you love. And who is that person that God wants you to pray for? And you see, you're not just praying for them. You're also praying for yourself that you'll have an open heart, an open mind, and a door of opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord, there's uh, so much that we can do and so many things we're terrified of doing. But here's one thing every one of us can do. We can pray. Because right now, Lord, I believe you're putting a picture in everyone's, everyone's mind, a picture of a person or persons that don't know you, that are far from you, that people sitting in these seats, in this auditorium, in this church, They know them and they will pray for them. And we pray that one day they will come to know Jesus because of that seed that is planted. So, Father, help us to identify who you want us to pray for, who you want us to daily put that that bookmarker in our Bibles. And every day we be reminded, I'm going to pray for this person, this person and this person, that they will come to know the beauty, the wonder, the glory, the majesty of loving Jesus Christ. Father, that is our prayer today. And Lord, I I pray that you would help us to have courage, not to just blow this off and say, "Ah, I don't want to do that, that's too hard. Help us, Father, to recognize that because you have lavished us with your grace, other people in our world and our sphere of influence can also know that grace through the testimony and the prayers of a loved one like us. So Father, bless us to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On the back of your uh, response cards, I put down several scriptures that will help you uh, learn how to pray for people that you would love to see come to know the Father. So I pray that you'll uh, use that as well. Thanks. Well, this morning we're going to take our offering. And um, if you are new or visiting, we just ask that you just uh, let the plates pass. Just drop in your Connect card with uh, information, any prayer requests. Uh, that would be written on there. And if, if you are a regular attender, um, we ask that you would prayerfully consider joining us in the ministry that, that we are doing and, um, and supporting us financially in that way. So, ushers, you can come forward. Your embrace, the light of the world forever. 